Father, we come before you, Lord. We just ask you to continue to speak to us. Whatever you would speak, Lord, I just give this time to you, Lord. I pray that your heart would come through, your words would come through to each individual. Lord, you see us all as individuals, as well as a corporate family, Lord, part of your family. Thank you for that adoption, Jesus, that you purchased at such a great price. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here to speak. And Holy Father, that you long to communicate to us, Lord, tune our ears to your voice, tune our eyes to see you, Lord, beyond whatever we see around us, Lord, let us see through to see the things that are eternal, Lord. Thank you and welcome here, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I thought about what to share, uh, my husband, Tom, loved an old, uh, I think it was kind of a gospel song called From Heaven's Point of View. And it talks about in the words, a man who's speaking of mountains, he's looking at mountains in front of him. And he says, but he realized that God takes us like an eagle to soar. And from heaven's point of view, the mountains are just hills. And um, as I began to think about that, God took me on kind of a mental journey. And so I'm going to take you with me. Uh, I'm going to share uh, some PowerPoint pictures to help us go through this. Let me see now if I'm going to. And everything, of course, reset when we restarted. So let me get back to where I need to be here. Okay. So I want us to start thinking about the question uh, or the statement, what we see is often determined more by our own perspective than by what we're actually looking at or experiencing. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Have you seen this picture before? What do you see when you look at it? Uh, one way you look at it, you can see a young woman, the side of the face of a young woman with a, maybe a feather in her hair and a fur around her neck. But another way you look at it, uh, it's an old woman with maybe a scarf around her hair and a, a long chin and a, a big nose. So two different pictures, depending on your perspective. So I'll give you another example. Uh, these were very popular. They're called stereograms. And I don't know if you can do this uh, using this kind of media, but if you hold, your, hold the picture in just a certain way in front of your eyes and relax your eyes, you see beyond, you see a three-dimensional image so it's more than meets the eye. You know, you can see a colorful array of flowers in one perspective, but then if you are able to set your eyes in a certain way, you begin to see, in this case, it's a mother swan and a baby swan in a three-dimensional form. So interesting how our perspectives, I started thinking about scriptures. So I'm going to run you through a kind of a quick list of some examples of how perspective was very different. So think about in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, before the fall, uh, we know from the scripture that it says God used to walk with them every day in the cool of the garden. But after their sin, after they ate of the fruit, 
we see them hiding and trying to cover themselves. Very different perspective, isn't it? Same situation, same garden, something had changed. Uh, Jonah, think about Jonah. Uh, his attitude was very different than God's toward Nineveh. He considered the Ninevites enemies, and they were enemies of Israel. But God's attitude, if we look at Jonah 4, God's, I'm just going to read that little bit from Jonah chapter 4. Uh, you know that after God relented and had compassion after the Ninevites repented, Jonah was very angry. And so verse one in chapter four says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone down and sat at a place east of the city. And it goes on and talks about it, about the plant that had grown up. And he was waiting and found down in verse nine. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he says, it is. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have great concern for the city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God's attitude was so different than Jonah's. Um, think about Isaiah in Isaiah 6. You know the story after King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up on the throne, and he was convicted of his sin and he said woe is me i'm a man of sinful a man of sinfulness and my lips are sinful and he had the angel god had the angel take a coal and touch his lips and interestingly that's when he begins to hear god saying who shall i send and who will go for us different perspective he sees and in one perspective he sees in light of god's holiness he's convicted of his sin and then when this cold touches his lips, there's an impact and he begins to hear God. So these are very different situations, but very different perspectives. So I'm going to jump ahead to the New Testament and suggest the situation where they come to Jesus to take him away in the garden. And Peter reacts, he grabs a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus turns and heals the ear again. What an interesting contrast where John thinks he's trying to protect Jesus. And in John 18, 10 and 11, it says, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Wow, what a difference. And, and what a, an unsettling, I'm sure, perspective for Peter. And I'm sure trying to understand what was happening, even though he should have known God had talked to, Jesus had talked to him about what was coming. So I want to give you another couple of examples, two different stories about someone asleep and someone awake. 
you know the story from Luke 8, 23 and 25, where Jesus had fallen asleep in the bottom of the boat and they were in a terrible storm in the middle of the sea. The disciples were frantic and fearful that the boat was about to sink, but Jesus was fast asleep. And then contrast that with the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, it apparently was a peaceful garden, it looked like everything was quiet and calm. The disciples here fell asleep, but Jesus was awake and crying out to the Father and sweating drops of blood. So in this situation, look at what a contrast. I think we want to learn to be asleep to what Jesus is asleep to and awake to what he's awake to. And very often it doesn't have much bearing on what the physical circumstances are around us, does it? They can be very deceptive. So I want to give you another example of some what ifs. When we think about leading prayer, when we think about facilitating prayer, when we think about this special season of 10 days. How can we, um, what's our perspective? Um, think about Joseph. What if Joseph had been spared that time of enslavement? What would have become of those who end up being saved by the strategy that he shared with Pharaoh? What if we had had the power to pray and deliver him from that suffering? Or what about Paul and Silas when they were jailed in Philippi and in the middle of the night they were praising. You remember there was an earthquake and as a result, the Philippian jailer and his family ended up coming to know Jesus. What if they had been spared that jailing? What would have become? Would that Philippian jailer and his family have come to know Jesus? We don't know. Or what if Paul had been spared prison toward the end of his life? Uh, a lot of the New Testament that we have, he wrote in prison. Uh, he had been traveling and carrying the gospel, but this time in prison was when he wrote many of the letters that we now have as part of the New Testament. And then, of course, if we think about Jesus, as Jesus prayed, Father, uh, not my will, but yours. What if, what if God had spared him the cross? what then of our salvation. So when we think about heaven's point of view, there are all kinds of factors, right, that influence our perspective. Um, just thinking about a few things. We're told to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know it's not about me, right? It's not about what I want. As Claudia was saying, it's hard to, it's hard to come to the place that we're willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours. Uh, whatever suffering it is required, uh, whether by life or death, that it's about you, it's about your will. We wanna be like Jesus where he only did what he saw the father doing. To do that, we have to watch, don't we? We have to listen, we have to have heaven's perspective. Uh, Luke 10, one talks about Jesus sending out the 72 everywhere he was about to come. I think it's interesting because when you stop and think about it, it says everywhere he was about to come. How did they know where he was about to come? They had to watch. They had to listen. They had to be obedient, only doing what they saw the father showing them to do. And then we know from Mark 16 that Jesus worked with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders following. So as they were obedient to go where he was about to come and to proclaim the word, 
we see that he was working with them in that. So God's timing, timing is another thing I'm not very good at. I think uh, sometimes I get a sense of what I feel like God's saying he's about to do, but that about stretches a long time. Think about how long it was from the time of the promise of a child to Abram and Sarah until that fulfillment came, or how long Joseph uh, was in the prison and in that uh, situation as a slave before he came second in command in Egypt. God's timing often isn't our timing but he's often at work during that period of waiting. So I think again, here we are in 10 days. This is part of the 50 day period between uh, when Jesus was raised from the dead. And of course, today we celebrate Ascension, the day of Ascension when he ascended into heaven and they waited. So that waiting period, what was happening there? Have you ever wondered about that? Here were disciples that had fled away at Jesus arrest and Peter had denied him three times. What kind of conversations do you think were going on in that room? What kind of prayers? I wonder about how God was at work in those relationships. And to me, this 10 days is such a significant time. Uh, not only this 10 days, but the 10 days in the fall as a time of preparation, a time of waiting, a time of alignment. We want to be listening and letting God um, put us in the positions, prepare our hearts in the way that they need to be prepared. Uh, we know that also in Luke 10, he, Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're white to harvest. Things are often riper than what they may appear. I don't know about you. Have you ever bought fruit and gotten it home from the store and then opened it up and found out, oh, wow, this, this really is no good. It's past ripe. It's past good certain types of fruit are difficult to judge. And I think uh, the disciples may have been amazed at some of the areas they looked at around them and thinking whether or not they were right. Think about Saul. Would you have judged him as someone that would be ripe for harvest? Uh, I think when God spoke to Ananias about going to Saul and praying for him, uh, he was a little hesitant because of the reputation that man had for killing believers. He had been a, a, a murderer, a terrorist, basically, up until the time when God encountered him, Jesus encountered him on the road to, to, uh, to Damascus. So we can't always judge. I know it's been interesting for me to watch as we think about Matthew 24, it lists off there'd be wars and rumors of wars, plagues, earthquakes, and so on. And then it goes on down and it says, and this gospel will be preached to all the earth and then the end will come. So I'm wondering, so is that the reason that the gospel is being preached because of the disasters and the crises? I've heard from field workers how as much as we consider COVID such a terrible thing, I've heard many say COVID has been the biggest blessing for the harvest, that there's been a huge harvest during this period of time, people coming to faith in Christ. So things often are riper than what they may appear. And sometimes those disasters and crises are part of ripening that. So how do we pray? Uh, bad people often make good soil for the gospel. Don't judge by what our eyes see. Uh, we know the verse that talks about man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. 
So just to give us some thinking as we think about that picture of the eagle from Isaiah 40, 31, we know the verse that says, those who wait upon the Lord get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. You know, that word wait, I looked it up. It's, it's a binding together, perhaps by twisting. So is that part of our purpose in this 10 days is to wait upon God, to get fresh strength, to be able to mount up and have that perspective, heaven's perspective as we pray. And in that process, we also get renewed. We get that renewal of strength. We get that ability to endure. And I think as Claudia was sharing, we need that kind of a perspective. We need that kind of strength and endurance to walk through trials as they're sure to come as the time for the Lord's return gets closer. Another verse I love, when you think about that idea of waiting and being twisted together, I was thinking about a three-legged race. And this verse came to mind, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Again, as we wait during these 10 days, as we set our hearts to seek the Lord in an intensified way, let's find those unforced rhythms of grace that God wants to reveal to us. And then I love this in Revelation 4, 1. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Wow, what an invitation. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. I think the Lord wants us to use this time during the 10 days, during this time as we lead up to Pentecost, to really wait on the Lord, to really ask him, invite us to come up, to come up higher, to see through your eyes, to hear with your ears, to see what must take place, to have the endurance and the perseverance to withstand whatever kind of challenges come our way. And I want to share just as a final thought, and then I want to let us listen to a, a, a song that I think is along the same message. But first, I want to look at Matthew 11. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 2 to 6. This is when uh, John had been put in prison. So it begins, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble or who is not offended on account of me. You know, I imagine when John was understanding his call to be a forerunner, um, he may have imagined all kinds of things, what that would look like. He certainly lived in 
unconventional life, didn't he? He lived out in the wilderness. He, he wore uh, camel skins. Uh, he ate locusts and honey. What a strange kind of a life. Think about what his parents must have thought who were, uh, his father was a priest in the temple. Uh, do you think that's what they expected when she had the ability to have him? I'm, I'm wondering as a mother, you know, what would have gone through their heads as their son took this role up of a very, very strange, unconventional kind of a prophetic message as a forerunner. And yet here he finds himself in prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Do you think he was having doubts? Do you think this was part of what he thought he would have to undergo? I wonder, because I think he, he was maybe questioning when the suffering came, when, the, when this came to the end uh, and having to come to grips with this. I heard Pastor Andrew Brunson share about his experience of being in prison in Turkey for two years. And he shared about the perplexity that he had in finding himself after so many years living and ministering in Turkey in a prison and the uncertainty of uh, it was not clear really what he was being charged with. He didn't even know he was under arrest at first. Uh, he thought it had to do with visas. But the perplexity that goes through your mind often when we come upon times of trial, oftentimes it's referred to as fiery trials. And we don't always realize what we're getting into until it's upon us. And then we're trying to figure out what just happened and what's, what's going on and how long will this last and how will I make it through this? Will I make it through this? I think we need to ask for this kind of perspective, heaven's perspective, to have that ability to mount up with those wings like that eagle. And to ask God to show us, help us to have that eternal perspective and to understand how to walk through what, what God brings. So I want to just end and invite us to listen. Let the Lord just take you deeper in him and speak to you particularly about whatever he would want to say to you as we go through this 10 days we're at the beginning now and, uh, what he would want you to do to really focus, to wait on him, to be twisted together with him, to store up the extra oil that we'll need for the season we're going into, and to really have our ears fine-tuned to hear his voice. So, Father, we want to ask you, take us up higher. Give us heaven's perspective, Lord. As we wait on you, let us be twisted together with you. Let us experience your yoke that's easy and your burden that's light. Give us the extra oil, Lord, that we need in preparation, Lord, for your return. Let us be awake. Let us wake others up, Lord, to the shortness of the hour, the urgency of the task. Father, in this 10 days, meet us. Holy Spirit, empower us fresh. Jesus, lead us on. Lead us on into your purposes. Prepare us as your bride, ready, clothed in white garments, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.